Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm glad you've decided to join us. Oh, we've got a, a big show for you today because here we are in summer. We are in summer, and we are probably sweating, probably having a good time. Of course, we're getting near the end of summer. It's kind of the strange time. And so, as you look around your garden, your landscape, do you see a lot of things that are blooming and thriving? Remember how it was in spring just a few months ago when everything was coming out, new leaves, flowers, and then it got hot and things are looking tired. But if you're looking around your landscape and you're not seeing a lot of beautiful things, whether it's beautiful foliage or beautiful flowers and blooms, if you um, aren't seeing that, well, today's show is for you because what I have found working uh, in the plant nursery business is that people are, uh, well, they get a disease in spring. People get a disease in spring. It's called spring fever. You know what I'm talking about. It's where you've been cooped up all winter long and we have some nice warm days. Uh, things are getting warmer. Things are changing and we get out to the nurseries, and that's when we go buy our plants. And of course, most of the plants, here's a little insight into the plant nursery business. Most of the plants that sell are going to be the plants that flower or are in bloom when somebody's looking at it. If a plant is not in bloom, it doesn't mean it doesn't sell. Maybe there's a picture tag and you see the flower. But the idea is that people are buying plants that bloom in the spring in spring. For the most part. And then we get into summer and people don't really shop for plants. It's very slow. It's like dead of winter in summer. <laughs> Even though things are growing, things are going awesome, the reality is, is people are not buying a lot of things in the, um, in the summer. And so what does that do to our landscapes then? Well, that makes our landscapes really heavy in plants that are blooming in spring, maybe early part of summer. But then it makes uh, our gardens, landscapes, not, not too floriferous, not too many flowers in the summertime. So what you really have to do if you are looking to have blooms or something that's attractive all year round in your landscape, what you've got to do is you've got to get out, go to the plant nurseries, and look. Look for stuff that's blooming in every season. Just because it's hot, just because, you know, we're all tired, we're all sweating, we're tired of being outside, we just want to stay in the air conditioning. You still got to get out. Take a couple of hours each, each season 
or maybe uh, twice every season, like early spring, late spring, early summer, late summer, and go see what's blooming, what's going on. So today's show, we are looking for plants that are going to be um, going wild and crazy right now. Things that are outstanding right now is what we're looking for. And that's why I've got a, a list of 10 plants that you must have in your landscape right now. you mu- These are must-haves. These are must-haves. So I hope that you will join us. Of course, we have been um, talking about a lot of things. We were talking past couple of weeks about uh, vegetable gardens for the fall. Because remember, vegetable gardens in the fall, we actually have to start in summer or late summer to really get things going. And so with that being said, um, if you're looking forward to growing vegetables and need some ideas on what you can grow, what would, what would work well, now is a good time to start seeding and start pl- uh, set, setting seeds, but maybe not so much uh, transplants. Uh, but I, I give you all the details on the last couple of weeks. So be sure to check out NewSouthernGarden.com and, of course, Facebook and Instagram uh, because you will find information there and on your favorite podcasting app on your smart device, whether it's a phone or a tablet. Uh, you can listen to last week's show and the week before right there on your cell phone. It's on demand. Super easy. Super easy. So today, of course, we are talking about these late summer plants. These late summer, a lot of these are bloomers. Actually, they're all bloomers. All these plants we're talking about are going to have some kind of blossom. Uh, It may look a a little different. We're going to talk about some grasses. You may not think of those as having... um, uh, blossoms, but they do have flowers, and they can bring uh, about a whole different kind of kind of look in your landscape. So, uh, be sure to uh, hang hang around through the whole program, and you will get a great selection of plants that are going to stand out in your landscape. The very first one that I want to talk about, we've talked about before. I don't think we've talked about it this year so much, uh, but this is Agapanthus. Or Lily of the Nile. Lily of the Nile. I usually use the term Agapanthus, which is its botanical name, but most people do know it by Agapanthus. So there, she's the Aggie. Aggie. Aggie is a wonderful plant because she just likes it hot. She actually does not do much in your landscape until it gets very warm in the summer. Now, I refer to Agapanthus sometimes as the allium of the summer. It's not an allium, and you may recall that at the beginning of this year, we talked about alliums. We had a show that was all about alliums. Uh, of course, you can look back on the website, NewSouthernGarden.com for that show, but alliums are ornamental onions, and they bloom in the spring in particular. Now, there's several different varieties. Some will bloom in the summer. Some will bloom maybe early fall, but the trouble with the south is mm, they don't love the heat, right? They are an onion. So even though we can grow them all year, they may not look their best. As a matter fact, the early alliums, they will bloom and then they will drop their leaves. But the reason I call Agapanthus the summer allium is that it has a similar form. It has a a very grass-like foliage. It has a tall, thin spike, and right at the top of it uh, is a round globe of blossoms. Maybe not nearly as perfectly round as the alliums, but the idea is that plant itself, that shape, a globe fixed right on top of a tall flower spike is really attractive uh, when compared and 
presented beside other plant material, things that maybe have uh, daisy-like flowers. These blend well with almost anything, and, and they're a bit unique and um, uh, a bit mystical looking. You know, they're sort of like there's some um, uh, almost otherworldly look to it. So a thin spike, and right on top of that flower spike is going to be a round globe. And the agapanthus, uh, similar to the alliums that we usually would have in spring, they, they are uh, quite diverse in color. We have purple, blue, and whites, maybe touches of pinks, and there are bicolors as well. So each flower petal uh, or each flower set may have white and purple or white and blue or white and a touch of pink in it. And so you will find that the agapanthus love this time of year they they are a quite bulbous plant they they do have a very thick tuber down at the bottom of the the root ball or where the roots and the stem separate i should say um but as they start to emerge in the spring you get this grass-like strap-like foliage which is quite contrasting to other plants that may have round leaves uh, or, or, or maybe just broad leaves these are more thin like a grass if you will um like monkey grass, not that thin, but still it gives you that textural component. And then when it gets warm, they start doing their blooming. And that's when uh, you can sit back and really enjoy them with those nice round globes. There's there's almost nothing, there's just very few things uh, in the plant world, in our gardens, that will produce those tight round globes. And alliums, agapanthus, they're, they're both producing those strange orbs of flowers that are really outstanding. Um, as far as moisture and soil goes, they really don't have a problem in our clay soils. I actually find that, like with many other bulbs, for them to be a bit compacted and their roots to be a bit restricted, they seem to bloom a lot better. For instance, in the nursery, we will um, have some pots that have maybe Pots of agapanthus, those plants have been in that pot for a couple of years, and they're very good at blooming. But as soon as we divide that, uh, that plant, split it into other containers, uh, which is necessary. And you should be doing that in your landscape too. But they, that those divided plants don't really bloom very well for a few more years, maybe a couple more years, when their roots start to, to develop and, and really push against the edges and, and, and actually kind of be compacted. Uh, in, in most situations, we don't want roots that are compacted and, and restricted. But with agapanthus, she actually blooms better. Same with other lilies, like crinum lily. So keep that in mind. Agapanthus can be a workhorse for you. doesn't need a lot of supplemental um, moisture. Uh, we find that even if their pots in the nursery get a little dry, they barrel right through. But they will wilt, and if they're wilting, you will need to water. But usually, an established plant doesn't need a lot extra from you. So that's agapanthus. She is that, uh, I like to describe her as the summer allium, even though she's not an allium. She's in the lily family. But still, she has a very similar flower form to what uh, those alliums would be. Then, let's talk about a native plant. So number two for what you need to be growing now is joe pieweed. Now, we've talked about joe pieweed in the past. It's a wonderful native plant, and I see it all over the place blooming now. I see it in gardens blooming, and I see it in the wild, along roadsides and ditches, stream banks even. It is blooming wonderfully. And do you know what I see this time of year when Joe Pie Weed is blooming? I see all kinds, all kinds of pollinators 
buzzing and humming and flying around those huge flowers they produce. Well, really, the Joe Pieweed has a very small flower, but the tiny flowers open up in clusters, huge clusters. I mean, some of these blooms could be 12 inches across. Now, Joe Pieweed is a tall plant. The uh, straight species or the wild native version, if you will, uh, that Joe Pieweed could be 10, 12 feet tall if it's a great established stand and loving it and growing and quite healthy. Um, but thank goodness for modern horticulture because we have some varieties like pink frost, a Joe Pieweed. I want to talk about that one today, but we have some dwarf varieties as well. And it's a wonderful thing for our landscape to be able to be able to uh, grow maybe half size or three quarters of the size like pink frost is maybe only three to four foot tall, which is much more doable in your landscape. And speaking of the pink frost Joe Pieweed, we love it at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. Um, it gets its name because it has a nice pink flower, which Joe Pieweed in general has uh, pink to, to maybe purple flowers. Uh, could be described somewhere in between pink and purple. Uh, so this pink frost has that classic kind of Joe Pieweed, but it's a maybe brighter pink than usual when it's blooming. But then, of course, the frost part comes from the foliage itself because pink frost, Joe Pieweed, is a dwarf that has variegated leaves. So you get dark greens, light greens, and nearly white. Actually, they very are close to white or cream at least. And so you get that frosty look. And with a plant that is quite short compared to other Joe Pie weeds, you really can't go wrong. First of all, Joe Pie weed needs to be planted around your garden somewhere just because it's a great native plant and it is a wonderful plant for pollinators. Like I mentioned earlier, Every butterfly you could imagine. Just this week, I drove by some Joe Pieweed, and I saw male and female swallowtails. I couldn't tell you how many were there. There was too many I could count driving down the road. But I did see those butterflies, and I'm sure buzzing around them were some bees and other things, wasp and, and whatnot. We need all of these pollinators. Uh, so keep that in mind. It is a wonderful food source for pollinators as we get into late summer, as we get into early fall, because she very well, some Joe Pies may not be started, blooming yet they may follow succession um, but since we are looking to plant plants that are doing something this late summer time of year joe pieweed is going to be there to feed your little pollinator babies to get them ready to go into fall because things are going to change folks when it gets cold there won't be nearly as many pollinators but they need uh they still need we need to remember that our pollinators need a certain amount of encouragement certain amount of food certain amount of uh nutrition and if we make a home for them by using some of these wonderful ornamental plants then they will do their job of pollinating the plants that produce food for us so treat your pollinators well in every season and don't forget to feed them the later part of summer. When we get back, we'll talk about more flowers and plants that are looking great right now.
Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking all about what you need to be growing right now in your perennial beds, your ornamental flowers, if you will, because these things are looking great and awesome as we speak. Before the break, we talked about the lily of the Nile. Of course, that's the agapanthus uh, and those nice uh, tall, round, globe-like, orb-like flowers they produce, or flower heads. And then we talked about the Joe Pie Weed, which there are so many varieties now of Joe Pie Weed. Some of them are blooming with pinks and purples, and, and there's some red ones too. We talked about one called Pink Frost, which actually has variegated foliage that gives you a nice splash of white cream color, which can stand out great uh, this time of year. So it's blooming, and it also has that beautiful flower, uh, foliage contrasting color. But one of my favorites, and I think I mentioned this maybe a couple of weeks ago as far as what was blooming in my landscape right now, uh, but I want to talk more about it. That's the hardy hibiscus, the hardy hibiscus. Now, if you are looking for that tropical feel, then you don't have to go any further. This is going to be one of your top plants. If you want a tropical feeling garden, you know, <laughs> several years ago we did an episode, we said creating a tropical-ish garden. So in other words, the idea is we can create a space that takes us back to the Bahamas or South Florida or, you know, Caribbean islands somewhere. Uh, but these plants are plants that will come back year after year. You don't have to replant them. You don't have to bring them inside over winter. They're completely hardy. And remember, when we use the word hardy in horticulture, hardy simply means that a, uh, a plant can handle, a plant can handle your coldest temperatures for your zone. So if a plant makes it through the winter, then it is hardy. You know, this past winter, we had a strange situation where, of course, there was uh, very low degree temperatures. And some things that are normally hardy didn't even make it through that very cold temperature. So we got to keep that in mind, too. Not all winters are the same year after year. But the hardy hibiscus, uh, there are plenty of native hardy hibiscus, which I love. Uh, of course, there's like the swamp mallow. There's the uh, Texas, Texas red or red uh, hibiscus, red swamp hibiscus. I don't remember. Yeah, swamp hibiscus. I think that one's the red one. But the mallows, anything in the mallow family is what we're looking at. And so if it's a native here to Georgia, it's most likely going to be hardy. But uh, in horticulture or gardening, we'll say, uh, not just the plants we find in the wild, but there are some great selections, some cultivars, and also uh, breeding programs with the hardy hibiscus. One in particular comes from Proven Winners, which 
does have some wonderful new plants coming out. But some of the hardy hibiscus proven winners uh, plants, they have not just those huge classic hibiscus flowers that we love. Some people, of course, use the word dinner plate hibiscus uh, to tout that and to market that. Um, or to describe the size, because the size of these flowers could be six, eight inches across, maybe more, if the plant is well mature and super happy. Um, but some of the new varieties also come, not just with the large flowers, but they also come with a very colorful foliage. What we're finding in the hibiscus group is that there are plenty of hibiscus that have these sort of, um, um, oh, how would you describe it? purple, red, very dark foliage and stems. And some are darker than others. There's one called a perfect storm, I believe, that is a beautiful uh, dark leaf selection. It has white, red, and let's say white, red, and pink uh, flowers. It's all variegated. The flower itself is just mixed up with whites, reds, and pinks, and that dark color. And the name Perfect Storm, really, when you look at that plant, you think, okay, that looks like a storm. Everything's mixed up. It's wild. And then you got like the darkness of the leaf, like it was a cloud, a big, thick cloud overhead. Uh, and so there are a number of these proven winter selections, uh, which have both that dark foliage, huge flowers. Some of them are uh, different shades of pink, reds and whites. Uh, French vanilla is one that I became accustomed with this year. And it's a nice creamy, creamy white, not brilliant white. But it does look nice. Uh, many of these hardy hibiscus are interesting, too, because they're, they have a center ring right around the center of the petals. In the middle of the flower, you'll sort of have this red ring or some shade of, of other color. And so it really does look different and unusual. But the idea is that this hardy hibiscus is a workhorse in the landscape right now. She's been blooming in my garden for weeks, and I expect her to continue to bloom un until the frost. You may want to deadhead some. You may want to trim back uh, every now and then because that will, of course, like with many of these plants we're talking about, encourage more blooms, and we don't want those hardy hibiscus to stop blooming. We want them to keep going. So love the hardy hibiscus, and it helps you get that tropical-ish garden. If you wanted to put it around a pool or uh, along the the edge of a wood line as maybe you're going into a jungle. <laughs> uh, you can create any kind of space, any kind of atmosphere that you want, and this one can help you do that. Now, another plant that uh, we just love, uh, that I just love, is Russian sage. Now, Russian sage is uh, also known as Pervoskia. I don't think that that name is quite as attractive as Russian sage, but Regardless, it is a, a very fragrant plant when you crush the leaves. I'm not going to say that it's a sweet fragrance. It's sort of an odor, but that's good because that odor usually repels deer. And so if you're looking for a perennial that blooms this time of year, that is uh, sun-loving, has huge blossoms. Uh, I will talk about the blossoms in a minute, but you've got a deer problem then Russian sage is a good one for you, or Provoskia, uh, because this plant here has a sort of ashy gray leaf, blue-green, you know, um, and sort of a two-tone leaf. The top is a little different color than the bottom, and so it's a, a very 
a small leaf, kind of fringy, so it brings about a nice texture. It's very open and airy, so again, it just billows up like clouds when they're in bloom, and the blooms could be described as a very loose panicle, which again is sort of a, a cone shape. We've talked about panicle flowers like panicle hydrangea in the past. Those are the hydrangeas that bloom with a cone-like flower, and so this plant, uh, the Russian sage, has a very loose panicle. What I mean is that it's made up this um, um, uh, cone-like flower is made up of small little purple flowers, but they're very far apart from each other. And so it does look like this purple cloud. It's really a beautiful plant. Now, Russian sage in its natural form can get quite tall, maybe the height of a person, uh, at least four to five feet, but there are some wonderful varieties you can find uh, that are very small. We've talked about proven winners. They have some Russian sage that stays small. So even if you have a small landscape, you surely will be able to find a Russian sage that is good for you. And being uh, a in sort of the Sort of the sagey group. It's not really sage. Provoskia is not. Uh, but anyhow, uh, you've got the flower that is quite tubular. It's a small tubular flower, uh, but it's highly attractive to pollinators. So if you've got that Joe Pie weed we talked about uh, in, in the first part of today's program, and you've got this Provoskia or Russian sage, those two flowers together can look really nice, sort of the uh, hotter pinks with the Joe Pie weed and sort of the paler lavender-like purple of Russian sage. They're blooming at the same time. One's taller than the other. Of course, they're both quite robust, but they're both going to be helping to feed your pollinators in the later latter part of summer, which is right where we are. So I don't want you to forget about feeding those babies. They need to have some food all throughout the year, throughout the growing season, not just spring, not just early summer, but as we get into late summer and early fall, they need to be well fed. So if you are looking for something different like hardy hibiscus or Russian sage, those are great selections that are blooming right now. I would say they are must-haves for this time of year because uh, they are going to be powerhouses of flowers and blossom, and they both have different textures Hardy hibiscus has the coarse texture. Russian sage has the fine texture. You put those beside each other, they look great. But when we get back, we'll talk about another native plant in the Rutabecchia group, or you may know them as black-eyed Susans. But there's more to it than just black-eyed Susan. So hang on tight through this break, and we'll be right back with some native flowers you need right now. Folded for the world to behold Stories of Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. All right, gang, so on New Southern Garden today, welcome back to the program. We are talking about things you need to be growing right now, things that you need to be looking forward to having. The whole premise of the program is that, you know, when we're in the plant nurseries in the springtime, that's usually about the only time we're shopping for plants because we, we think it's the best time to plant 
It's not really. And you know that now if you've been listening to the program. But we still get infected with that spring fever, do we not? And so you may not actually ever see, you may not actually ever see things that are blooming in the summer in your landscape because you weren't buying plants that were blooming in the summer. You were shopping for plants in the spring. So be sure to take, you know, maybe twice a season, early spring, late spring, early summer, late summer, be sure to go check out your local plant nurseries and see what is blooming, what is going on every season. And if you do that, you will be able to fill your garden with something that is highly attractive any time of the year. So with that being said, we've already talked about agapanthus, joe pieweed, hardy hibiscus, Russian sage. And before the break, I was uh, leading up to another native plant. Not all these are natives, but the joe pieweed we talked about is. But another great native comes from the rutabekias, or we sometimes call them black-eyed Susans. But they're not all black eyes. Some of them have green eyes. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But the rutabekias are particularly well-known for blooming later in the season, later in the summer. And so if you're driving around, if you don't have any rutabecchia or black-eyed Susans, but you're driving around town, driving around the neighborhoods, and you see uh, sort of an upright plant that has yellow daisy-like flowers, uh, petals, that's probably a rutabecchia of some kind, a black-eyed Susan of some kind. And surely, as we get into fall and we start thinking about our plantings for fall, you will start to see some rutabecchias that have been grown in the nurseries to bloom for fall because they are such late bloomers. And some of the rutabecchias are not just gold uh, with their flower petals, but some rutabecchias, some of the newer ones, uh, they may have brown in them. They may have some red, some oranges. They're really getting some great color combinations and uh, petal colors uh, in the rutabecchias. They're breeding them. They're hybridizing them as well. And But really, the rutabecchia is so unique because she is particularly a native plant to North America, uh, right here where we live. Now, there are several varieties and several species, and I'll talk about a few. The first one I want to talk about is the rutabecchias that come into the, the herta, H-I-R-T-A, herta group. Uh, this, of course, is a botanical name, rutabecchia herta, but those tend to be annual rutabecchias. They tend to grow from a seed and produce a flower and then go back to seed, drop seed on the ground, all in one year. Now, I do like those, but because they have so many seeds, you may find that they start to pop up everywhere. Rutabecchia is known for that. Rutabecchia is known for popping up and, and moving around your garden, multiplying for sure. So if you're not into that, just be sure to keep that in mind. But the herdas are good. They tend to start blooming. I saw some of them blooming earlier than now, but they're still blooming right now, and they give you that late summer color. But you may um, realize that if we have a rough winter, uh, those individual plants may die. Sometimes we call them perennial, but a lot of times with a rough winter, those rutabecchia herdas are, are not going to make it. And so you've got to start them over from seed, which they'll kind of do on their own. Uh, but there is a group of rutabecchia, uh, several groups of rutabecchia, that are great perennials. They are for sure going to return year after year uh, for many years. And one of those groups is the uh, rutabecchia um, 
Rutabecchia fulgida. Fulgida. These are terrible names, aren't they? Uh, but there's one called Goldstrom that's been around for a long time. Uh, we talked about a new variety that came out on a previous episode uh, this year. And so the fulgidas are uh, still have that classic flower with the black eye and the petals that come away like rays of the sun. Uh, a lot of times you'll see that bright gold color on those petals. Really attractive and very dark green foliage. I should have mentioned that the Herta rutabecchias, they tend to have sort of an ashy green, so it's a whole different color. But then you might want to be exposed to a native, which I love and hate. I, don't, I shouldn't say I hate. It's not a love-hate relationship. It's just a, a, a love it most of the time, but sometimes it gets a little too tall, and that is the cutleaf rutabecchia, or uh we like to call it green-eyed Susan. So instead of a dark black center, uh the disc. The disc is a pale green, uh, which is really attractive. It's a whole different look than the black-eyed Susan. You still get those golden yellow uh, ray petals, but the idea is that you could mix up the varieties in your landscape and have show off some of these different characteristics. As the name suggests, the cutleaf or green-eyed Susan, uh, Rutabecchia, as that suggests, the leaves are quite dissected, and so they give you a different texture in itself. Um, this one, though, looks a little weedy at first, okay? I, I don't want you to get too discouraged by it because it does look a little weedy at first, but when it blooms, uh, and we find that it blooms almost all the time uh, in the greenhouse, it's bloomed in the middle of winter, which we wouldn't expect in the landscape, but they do send up very tall uh, flower spikes. So if you don't have a lot of room for height, you may not want to use this one. Use one of the other rutabecchias. But if you have a pond, if you have a natural area, and you don't mind how tall things get, or if you do need some height, then the cut leaf would be great. Now, what we find actually with this green-eyed Susan is if you plant it in full sun, it will get very tall and it will multiply and kind of spread rapidly. But if you put it along the edge of a wood or maybe right inside of a forest where it still gets decent sun but not full, full sun, then the plant will stay maybe half the height. It won't be nearly as tall, but it will prolificate and it will grow well. Very versatile. It can handle a very wet soil too. That is a wonderful thing about the green-eyed Susan or cutleaf rutabecchia is that if you have a boggy area, soggy soil, and you don't think you have many options to plant in those areas, well, rutabecchia, cutleaf, or the uh, green-eyed Susan is definitely one to use. And I'm going to say again, because this plant blooms so late in the year, it is very attractive to pollinators. And this time of year, like we've already said, we've got to still be thinking about those pollinators, making sure we give those adults something to eat. So check out the rutabecchias. Whether you're going to keep them in a container uh, this fall, there's going to be some great selections available at your local plant nursery and garden center, or whether you want to put it in the ground, uh, like with the Goldstrom rutabecchias, and have them come back year after year. Um, or if you want a more natural planting, natural looking plant, uh, like the uh, cut leaf. I guess saying a plant looks natural is a nice way of saying the plant looks kind of weedy, <laughs> but it is a good plant. Don't get me wrong. Uh, now, let's go away from natives and talk about uh, another great plant that is, um, uh, well, I say great plant. This one, maybe uh, you need to be careful about, but for the past, I don't know, couple of decades or more, 
this plant has provided the garden with a con- somewhat controlled height uh, and great texture and late summer blossoms. And this is the maiden hair grass or miscanthus. Now, before we go into more discussion about miscanthus, miscanthus has been used for several several uh, decades, like I said, and it sort of replaced the pompous grass. You may remember pompous grass has a very thick, uh, wide bladed grass that got 12 feet tall, maybe taller in some places. You really don't see that grass much anymore. Uh, it s- sort of started getting out of control. They're just large plants. And so the maidenhair grass or miscanthus came in after uh, that plant and started to, um, to really take off as an alternative to the pompous grass. So the maidenhair grass, like pompous grass, still gives you that wonderful texture. The strap-like leaves, they're even finer than pompous grass, uh, very thin. And some of the leaves can be variegated. Some of them have stripes. Some of them are like uh, horizontal stripes. Some of them have stripes that go up and down the length of the stem, up of the leaf. But then this time of year, they bloom uh, with these very dainty, soft, puffy looking uh, flower heads. The trouble, though, is that uh, even though some of the miscanthus are worthy of the garden, most of them are invasive. They're invasive. And so you got to be careful and do the research on the varieties that you're using. Make sure that you don't have multiple varieties in the surrounding area or your landscape because what we're actually seeing a bit of is that the maidenhair grass um, is crossing and producing viable seeds. Some of the maidenhair grasses are sterile. They can't produce seeds. But if they cross with another plant, that plant may be able to produce seeds and, of course, kind of populate. So depending on the area of the world or the country, wherever you're listening, make sure that it's not considered an invasive in your area. We still see landscapers loving it. And if you hire a landscaper to just make your place look pretty, to put pop in some plants, and, and you're not too forward thinking about the plants they may be may be using or recommending, uh, then you may find that this plant can cause some issues uh, in certain areas. So as with all plants, uh, you know, every plant on this list is good. Uh, Maidenhair is is not uh, great, maybe, but it is one of the grasses that is still easily found that um, with some proper education, some proper placement and uh, selection, selecting the right ones, if you will, uh, you can use uh, the maidenhair grasses and they do have some nice fall color as well. But the texture is really what it's all about. If you don't want to even think about having to deal with figuring out which maidenhair grass is good in your area and which is not, use a native grass. And Virginia switchgrass is the next plant I want to talk about. I've talked about it before, but I'm still in love with it. And it's looking so good now in my landscape. They're so dainty. Oh, I shouldn't say dainty. They're Beefy plants, beefy grass plants, they only get maybe three feet tall or so. With the flowers, they may get a little taller. But their flowers are these very wispy, uh, fiber optic almost uh, appendages up in the air. And they always catch the breeze. Now, most of the Virginia switchgrasses um, 
come in a variety of shades of green, but my favorites are the blue-green shades because they give you that kind of ashy look with the thin strap-like foliage and those fiber optic, very loose and open flowers that are looking great right now. It's a wonderful plant. Now, Virginia switchgrass can reseed. Any grass can reseed, um, but Remember that Virginia switchgrass is a native grass, so if it does populate an area here, uh, it's right at home. It's the grasses that uh, maybe aren't from here that we want to be more selective about. But the reason I love Virginia switchgrass is you get just wonderful fall colors, usually in the yellows. I've seen a lot of yellows with the Virginia switchgrass, uh, golds if you will, and then maybe even into uh, some reds and oranges. But the idea with Virginia switchgrass is that it holds sort of a bronzy color all winter long. And with any grass, and most perennials, folks, don't trim them after the uh, during the fall or during the winter. Let those stems stay there because anytime we cut plants back over winter, remember that water can infiltrate into those cuts and maybe freeze while it's winter time. So be on the lookout for some of that stuff. Um, we really don't want to cause too, too many problems to our plants over winter, but Virginia switchgrass will come back year after year. She's native here, a great fall color, cool fiber optic, wispy flowers, thin leaves, blue-green foliage. It's just an all-around great addition if you're looking for some grasses. And of course, pollinators will love grasses too. They surely will. When we get back, folks, we're going to continue talking about even more plants that you must have in your garden right now. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. All right, gang, welcome back to New Southern Garden. I hope that you've been having fun today. We've been talking about uh, must-have plants this time of year. For right now, must-have garden plants for right now. These are plants that are doing something spectacular, giving us some kind of beautiful flower show. Maybe the color of their foliage is awesome, or uh, maybe the texture Maybe the texture of the plant is really standing out and looking good. And so already we've got a long list. We've got agapanthus we've talked about, the lily of the uh, of the Nile, the joe pie weed, the eupatorium, which is a great native plant, wonderful for pollinators, hardy hibiscus with those huge flowers. They just love the heat, and they're going to return. If it's a hardy hibiscus, it will come back year after year for many years. Russian sage with those 
very loose uh, lavender panicles of uh, fluffy cloud-like blossoms. Beautiful plant. Rutabecchia, of course, those are the black-eyed Susans, and we talked about the green-eyed Susan as well. Instead of a dark center, she has a green center. We talked about maidenhair grass with some precautions to make sure that uh, even though it's a beautiful grass, make sure that it's not considered an an invasive in your area. Um, It's not really outlawed yet, but if you will, uh, people are still using it, planting it, but we are seen a few issues that it may present. And then Virginia switchgrass, even though it does recede like most grasses do, this is a native grass to the southeast. Uh, Great pollinator plant as a host plant and of course um, uh, even though their flowers are tiny and you can't really see many of the petals and all the, it's not beautiful in that nature. Uh, It's a wispy kind of fiber optic like flower and the pollinators surely know all about it. But we've got a few more plants that I want to talk about before uh, we have to part ways today. Uh, Let's talk about yarrow or achillea. I believe we talked about it in the spring um, because that's a great time to plant it, uh, but fall time and and late summer is a good time to plant it. If you can water it, uh, it will be just just fine in the garden. Um, But it is a powerhouse bloomer through summer. It's one of those cut and come again flowers, as long as you keep Achillea or Yarrow deadheaded, then you will find that it will just keep blooming until it gets frosty. Now, uh, what does this flower look like? If you don't know Yarrow or Achillea, I'll try to describe it. It is a very flat-topped flower. It has very tiny little flowers that are sitting on top of the flower spike, uh, and they create this kind of flat-top effect. So even though the individual flowers are very, very small, when they're clustered together, they look really quite brilliant. And the fact that they have this flat top flower, uh, it brings another shape into the garden, like the agapanthus with those big round globes, uh, the Russian sage with those panicle, loose kind of cone-shaped flowers. Well, the Achilles bring in this kind of flat top corum that it really uh, looks awesome and outstanding. They come in all kinds of colors. I guess everything but blue. We see yellow, we see whites, we see pinks, we see reds, we see purples. There are all kinds of oranges. We see all kinds. I don't know if I see too many oranges though, but there are some nice yellows. Maybe something in between a yellow and and a red would be that orangey color, Um, but beautiful colors. And so there's there's a yarrow for everyone. Let me just say that. They have very small leaves that are dissected and and very fringy like. And most of the time, they're sort of a blue-green gray color, which looks pretty outstanding when compared to other plants. They do spread and move, but I love a good mass of Achillea or Yarrow. In mass, they look outstanding. Then we do want to give a shout out to the garden flocks because the garden flocks, we talked about it in the spring, but garden flocks, I always forget how long she blooms until she starts blooming. She doesn't start off super early in the spring, but maybe by late spring, early summer, she's going And she really doesn't stop once she gets going. Be sure to deadhead them, and you'll have color all summer long. So in my landscape, I planted just uh, planted some young garden flocks this year. So they're small, but they're blooming. And I haven't really deadheaded them, but guess what? They're still blooming. Uh, Then, of course, driving through town on my way to work, wherever I was going, I saw a huge stand of garden flocks, and they were in full bloom and looking glorious. They're amazing. But they do come with some trouble. So keep in mind that garden flocks, as most flocks do, uh, they have a problem with 
powdery mildew. Uh, but we talked in the spring about some varieties. Uh, David is a white garden phlox. Of course, it's got those panicle-like blossoms all clustered together. Um, but it's a white one, and it was one of the first that really didn't have a problem with this powdery mildew stuff. And so they've been breeding with that one, and they've gotten other colors like reds and purples and pinks and probably other shades of white uh, available that don't have such a problem with the powdery mildew. So if you can deal with the powdery mildew, if you can find a selection that is resistant to it, it is a great plant. And it's another native plant that's going to be blooming uh, for most of summer and well, probably up until frost. Like I said, if, if, as long as you can deadhead those spent flowers and encourage it to bloom. There's an old saying in horticulture that I love. It's a little bit morbid, I guess, but uh, we say, keep the knife to its throat and force it to flower. In other words, be sure to deadhead, 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 and that will encourage it, force it to put out more blooms. Now, how about canna lily? Uh, some people love canna lily, some people hate it. I happen to love it. I happen to love it. Uh, as, as long as it's controlled. So, yes, canna lily is this sort of very uh, bulbous-like plant. It's a rhizome, very thick, fleshy root that you can plant in the spring. And by uh, the time it's getting hot, you've got a plant that's blooming. In one year, they're going to put up foliage and bloom. But as that plant continues to grow in your garden year after year, it makes a large clump and it spreads a bit. That's why some people don't love canna lilies. But as long as you keep them under control, don't let them get out of hand, they do give you this very upright plant. I mean, some of them are as tall as a person, if not taller. Very big leaves. Um, they're, they look tropical. Uh, I guess in some regards they, they could be considered that, but they're hardy in our area. You can't grow them far up north because they can't handle that much cold. But here in the southeast, the canna lilies can come back year after year. So we consider them perennial uh, for all intents and purposes. Uh, but they come in a variety of colors as far as foliage and flower goes. For instance, I'll tell you some of my favorites. Uh, Wyoming has been around for a long time. Wyoming canna lily, like the state of Wyoming. Uh, it has this sort of red foliage that's blended with other shades of red uh, and maybe a touch of orange. But its flower is a super bright orange flower that really looks outstanding. Then, of course, we have the Bengal tiger. Now, Bengal tiger is one of my favorites because its foliage, it has uh, yellow and green variegation, yellow and green stripes up and down the foliage. And so that in itself really stands out beside blues beside oranges and that happens to be the color of its flower is orange the last one i love is mango now i think that's a casanova variety a kind of new one but the mango has a blue green foliage which is quite outstanding and of course it has this sort of mango color uh, i like to call it a coral blossom so no matter what you're looking for in your landscape i know you'll be looking for something be sure to check out agapanthus, joe pieweed, hardy hibiscus, Russian sage, rutabekias or black-eyed susans, the maidenhair grasses, Virginia switchgrass, achilleas, garden flocks, and canna lilies. That's our big list. Be sure to put stuff in your landscape that's blooming right now so we can enjoy summer, uh, at least what's left of it. Well, for New Southern Garden and WRWH, my name is Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week.
Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.